Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Again, everyone, Charles Marshall here with uh, my good friend and colleague of sorts, Bill Padalo. Today is Thursday, September 6, 2018, here broadcasting live from San Diego, California. And as always, the Neil Garfield Show is brought to you by GTC Honors, livinglies.wordpress.com, lendinglies.com, and from listeners like you. And as I always mention at this time, Neil and I very much appreciate any donations you can make, and you can do so on the blog. And these donations, by the way, just for a quick reprise, these donations are all going to the, the cause that we're all fighting for through the blog itself, through the publicizing that we're able to do, which, of course, we're able to do more with the further donations that come in. And, again, those can be put directly to livinglies.wordpress.com. Now, as mentioned, I have uh, Bill Padalo with me today who, as always, is going to be able to provide some very uh, timely and succinct and and just right on analysis related to these LSF9 Master Participation Trust. Now, we've talked about this topic on this show several times at this point. And Bill's got some really good further analysis, further take on what's playing out currently. We're also going to have a revisit to the Wells Fargo versus Riley case. That's that Florida decision that back in 2017, December 13th, in fact, the homeowner won. And that does happen got a final judgment for defendant. He was the defendant in a judicial foreclosure case. So a lot of the chain of title analysis today will be able to apply to non-judicial states and the West Coast 
foreclosure environment, which as every as everyone knows, that's where I operate. And Bill's also going to be able to speak to another case that was decided in New York, January 12, 2018. Short case name there is BlackRock Balanced Capital Portfolio versus U.S. Bank. So in this case, we've got a little bit of an institution-to-institution play, uh, which is always interesting to present and, and do the intersections to our situations related to that. And again, Bill will have some good analysis on that as well. Uh, he's also going to go into a lot of communications he's been getting literally from around the country via email, phone call, you name it, from investors and realtors and other people who are trying to plug into property sales associated with these these trusts, you know, that again is is one of the main focuses of the show today, the LSF9 Master Participation Trust. And what Bill is finding in fielding these calls is that there are a lot of players around the country related to real estate sales, trying to get sales effectuated. They can't follow a trail to get these foreclosed subject properties or properties that are subject to foreclosure where that the foreclosure actually hasn't gone to auction yet, they can't get uh, essentially basic information on why these properties are not, you know, showing up on the normal real estate uh, related informational databases. Uh, so, Bill, if you could jump in now. I know you've got a lot of good information to share today, so I will give you the floor. <laughs> All right. Well, <clears throat> thanks, Charles. Good to good to be back, as always. Um, well, starting off right on that note about the, the calls and the emails, it seems to be accelerating daily for me, and um, uh, it, it, it seems like it, it's some kind of twisted joke, possibly, by some of the servicers or whoever is attached to these properties, but it seems like I'm getting two to three calls and emails a day. Uh, some are just repeatedly um, hounding at me for information tied to properties that show LSF9 in, in, in the title uh, as the party of ownership uh, in jurisdictions all across the United States. And I'm getting them from everywhere, from uh, you know, places like Nebraska and New Jersey and just all over the United States. And, and what's, what's happening in these inquiries is they're real estate agents, uh, sometimes investors, um, all kinds of different parties who are seeking information to, they want to either buy the home or they need information as to who to contact to file complaints against these properties because they're becoming eyesores, either they're abandoned, nobody's upkeeping them. Um, and, and so something clearly is amiss when... Uh, LSF9 is, is showing up uh, on, on, on these properties all over the United States after foreclosures, and then no one can find out um, what you know how to how to reach anybody regarding uh, uh, how to either purchase or complain about them, so on and so forth. And 
the mystery of uh, you know still is there's a lot of mystery involving this entity as I keep on investigating, but um, as we keep picking away and I keep picking away and information keeps coming across my desk uh, uh, routinely, we're getting closer and closer to uh, pinpointing you know some very specific issues here that I think are uh, ripe for uh, certain kinds of arguments. Um, you know, in defending uh, title or uh, foreclosure situations, whether it's judicial or non-judicial. And one of the things that I had mentioned for today's show is I really want to talk about um, the issue that I've, I'm, I'm going to point to uh, regarding this LSF-9 in non-judicial states. And even with LSF-9 in referencing the case in Florida that you mentioned with Riley, that was just won by the homeowner, that's also a, a, a Chase Wamu fact pattern, um, and it's very relevant in that case as well because um, the witness in that case uh, admits that these assignments that uh, J.P. Morgan Chase has been executing um, on these Wamu notes contain materially false information of, of beneficial ownership to these loans. And what I've uncovered here with LSF-9 is a recent letter that uh, was addressed to uh, a party, uh, a client in a case, where they were inquiring about um, verification of, of different items pertaining to the chain of title, and they went to U.S. Bank. And again, uh, we've got to keep a clear uh, differentiation between U.S. Bank N.A. and U.S. Bank Trust N.A. These are the two different entities that they're playing a, a games with. So when this letter comes back from U.S. Bank N.A., they, ad they make the admission in this letter that, yeah, they're the owner, or not the owner, but they're the indentured trustee uh, on behalf of the certificate holders who uh, own this particular loan. And that right there is, um, it goes to the heart of what I've been saying since day one, that U.S. Bank Trust N.A. as trustee of the LSF-9 Master Participation Trust, which is the typical name of the assignees, uh, the typical name of the plaintiffs in foreclosure actions and, and uh, non-judicial foreclosure actions. That party, uh, the Master Participation Trust, is not an actual trust that holds any assets, nor is U.S. Bank Trust N.A., uh, the uh, indenture trustee of any homeowner's loans whatsoever. Uh, and this is because the, uh, the information and the trust documents that have been put out there by this particular party, uh, this, this named plaintiff or whatever, um, shows not only a number of inconsistencies in these heavily redacted documents, but it shows that uh, U.S. Bank N.A. is the indentured trustee on behalf of numerous um, series trusts to which, in the servicing agreements, Caliber, they're only, and then Caliber is the typical servicer for these uh, actions, Caliber is named as the servicer on behalf of those series trusts. So what we've got here is, if you look at... Uh, the trust agreement that's been produced in one case uh, down in Texas for LSF-9, the trust agreement has nothing to do with Caliber, doesn't have Caliber as a party to it, 
and um, it also doesn't have U.S. Bank N.A. as a party to the trust agreement. And so my point with these substitutions of trustees, and, and, and you can confirm this with me, obviously, in these non-judicial states, in order to get to the uh, in the process in the non-judicial foreclosure, in order to get to the substitution of trustee, an assignment is typically executed, and then that alleged beneficiary uh, then dictates the authority to the servicer to execute typically the substitution of trustee. Well, in the Florida case with Wamu Chase, and now with this LSF-9, when U.S. Bank N.A. is claiming that they are indeed the indentured trustee beneficiary, essentially, of these loans, that knocks out U.S. Bank Trust N.A. Uh, out of the equation uh, as, as the trustee for the Mass Participation Trust as the actual beneficiary. So uh, they're executing these documents when they don't represent an actual beneficiary, and in fact, Caliber, there's no connection between Caliber and the LSF-9 Master Participation Trust itself, uh, because from what I can only decipher as of right now, based on all the variance, uh, variances of documents, and, uh, and this is why we're seeking to get them unredacted, um, but it states in there that Caliber's only authority comes from U.S. Bank N.A., and uh, all of these parties are missing. So therefore, my point is um, challenging these substitution of trustee documents, I think every one of them, uh, there's a basis to at least allege that the, uh, the authority to, to execute those documents have not been granted by the true beneficiary. Oh, we, we absolutely see that a lot in uh, California and other non-judicial foreclosure documents, particularly here in the Ninth Circuit, uh, what often will happen is that you will have an entity like Washington Mutual or some other defunct entity, an entity, for instance, where they no longer even have proper registration with the California Secretary of State. They don't even have a setup for taking proper legal service, or they're not even properly registered anymore with the Secretary of State. And you will see them years after you see any footprint or fingerprint of them associated to the original loan, which let's say the original loan is 2006, 2008, 9, 10, and then they'll show up several years later purporting to substitute a sales trustee. That's where you'll often see these substitutions of trustee in California and other non-judicial states. In effect, the law requires, and it legitimately requires, separate parties to be handling separate functions so that if you're actually going to take a non-judicial foreclosure property to sale, one of the, which I think unfortunately one could reasonably say, these are kind of fig leaf protections, but when all this legislation was written years ago, theoretically they could have been more robust protections. Nevertheless, 
you have nominally a separate party who's actually taking the property to sale, which I use the term sales trustee. That's a standard usage, by the way. And so it's only the beneficiary that is supposed to be assigning that interest through a substitution of trustee. Uh, the beneficiary can have you, well, you, you did also point out the beneficiary can have somewhere in their own chain of assignments of their own interest the actual beneficial interest in the property, control over the note and associated deed of trust. They can have another agent act on their behalf, which agent then assigns the interest. However, so often that is done in a way that violates the rules related to proper assignments. Uh, a lot of this goes back to Civil Code 1095, where you have to be the real party in interest to assign an interest in property. That, that statute goes all the way back to the 1800s. Uh, the bottom line here is if you have, in a substitution of trustee, a purported beneficiary who you see only in the chain of title from years ago and they don't even exist anymore, like something like Washington Mutual, then clearly that's a red flag. Clearly that's a break in the chain of title and assignment. Um, the sad news associated with that is that oftentimes when judges will see these broken chains of assignment in a lawsuit, they will still sign off on what's really a bad chain of title under the theory that, well, the borrower plaintiff doesn't have the, the right, the borrower plaintiff doesn't have standing to challenge these broken chains of assignment because the property has not gone to sale, meaning a pre-auction lawsuit. And they'll cite Ivanova and the later progeny coming from Ivanova, like Mendoza. Or the other thing that you'll see, even if it's post-foreclosure, is there, there is a line of cases, again, sad to say, in California especially, which establishes the, the legal principle that, okay, we see these irregularities, we see robo-signing, or we see non-registration with the Secretary of State, or we see expired registrations with the Secretary of State, or we see that the entity ceased to exist, like WAMU, because of bankruptcy or some other reason. They simply went out of business. However, they're later appearing to what should be presumptively illegally assign a legal interest in the, in, in the subject property. That is signed off on by the judiciary in, in many cases, notwithstanding a lot of pushback from attorneys like me and, and others who are bringing these foreclosure lawsuits to California. Many judges will say, and they'll follow, unfortunately, the legal precedent on this now, well, these irregularities make the underlying transactions merely voidable. And you, borrower, do not have standing to challenge those. You, borrower, are essentially a bystander, even though you're obviously central to the loan. Uh, nevertheless, you don't have standing to do anything. Potentially, hypothetically, the, the investors in the, in, in the trust agreement, if you go back far enough, they might have 
standing to challenge, but you bar or do not. Therefore, we're, we're treating this as all merely voidable. Now, if the underlying transactions were void, then the borrower would have standing, which is why so many courts are falling all over themselves to find the underlying transactions merely voidable. So that's the state of the law in California, many non-judicial foreclosure states. I think, frankly, it's also uh, the state of the law in judicial foreclosure states. I'm not asking you to per se to weigh in on legal analysis. And of course, I will provide the disclaimer that's provided in connection with this show anyway, that nothing that's said today is legal advice. We're simply providing, uh, I would say, articulate musings and, and considered thoughts on the foreclosure matters of the day. Uh, but yes, for those of you who who want to take this into a legal arena, you will need to consult legal counsel before doing so. Um, Bill, it's a good time to bring you back in. What's what's your take on uh, what I what I've just laid out? Oh, sure. Well, I I just want to you know make a bullet point real clear here as to because this is a very complex issue. It's really hard to lay it all out verbally um, and describe this very, very complex issue, with, especially with LSF-9 in, in a 30-minute call. But again, what I want to highlight here is that <clears throat> U.S. Bank N.A. is admitting that it is the owner of the, uh, or the fiduciary indenture trustee of loans um, in uh, the series trusts, essentially, that are being concealed um, through this LSF-9. And in this letter, U.S. Bank says, we don't own your loan, we don't own the trust, we don't own, essentially, uh, in our individual capacity, anything. Um, that's, that's not our role, we're, we're simply an indentured trustee. Now, if you look at the trust agreement for the Master Participation Trust, for the LSF-9 masters, it says that U.S. Bank Trust N.A. is the owner trustee, and it says this in their certificate of trust that they filed with the state of Delaware, that it's an owner trustee of, of this trust that is also uh, simply an agent. As If you've looked at my articles and the documentation I've written on this, they literally state in the servicing agreements for the various servicing uh, series trusts, I should say, they're simply an agent, a, participa a participation agent. So there's a lot to be fleshed out here, but, but it's very critical to understand that um, uh, U.S. Bank Trust N.A. Uh, is completely different here. We're not seeing the, the, the true beneficiary here in any way, shape, or form on these documents. But how I want to tie this into the uh, BlackRock versus U.S. Bank complaint that you referenced here earlier in the in the show is it's it's always uh fun to see uh, i guess you could say um when you have uh, to see investors making the allegations that the homeowners have been making um for years and years and years in in a lawsuit and what i pointed out when i sent this over to you to, to take a look at it um uh blackrock makes the allegation that U.S. Bank as trustee has, and has known for years that the servicers for these loans in these various trusts, that the servicers were 
committing robo-signing. We're essentially forging documents and foreclosure proceedings all around the country, and they sat on their hands and didn't do anything about it. Now, that's coming from one of the largest institutional investors on the planet in BlackRock. And when they're saying and accusing U.S. Bank of sitting on their hands and not doing anything when fraud and forgery is going on, and, and albeit years after the $25 billion uh, national settlement and all these consent judgments, I mean, here we've got these these allegations that are surviving to this day in this year of 18, and it seems that uh, some of these claims are surviving and moving forward. So, you know, if a homeowner steps up in court and makes these allegations about fraud and forgery on the document, it's, uh, I mean, of course, you know, you know the, the attitude of the courts on this stuff. Uh, they don't want any part of it. They don't want to hear it. Homeowners can't challenge it. But, you know, it's, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If, if the investors are, are claiming and saying this, and, and if the courts deem they have standing to say that these documents are being forged and fabricated in foreclosures, um, you know, I, I think there's going to eventually be grounds for homeowners to sit back and accumulate uh, a lot of evidence and information from these cases and getting, get, getting their hands on this that's going to corroborate all of the claims that uh, borrowers have been saying and myself has been saying for years that these issues uh, have not subsided whatsoever. The robo-signing, the forgery, the fabrication, and the chains of title uh, continue unabated, and it's getting worse, you know, more so now than ever. And, um, and so now, you know, when you walk into a courtroom and say, listen, it's not just me or a homeowner saying this. The investors are crying foul, too. And I think at some point, uh, you know, and, and we've said all along, uh, the investors, homeowners, uh, have to get their heads together. And if it's going to happen inadvertently just by – um, trolling these cases and pulling the information out of these cases and forcing the information through freedom of information, whatever it takes to get our hands on this. I mean, the, the story is eventually going to connect, and that's why the, uh, as you and I were talking about just prior to coming on, is never give up. You can never give up in this uh, in these fights because um, good things will happen eventually, and I, I'm still a firm believer in it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't see that every day in my practice, but I see it every month and I often see it every week. And yes, the potential, even if it's not direct coordination between investors and borrowers, and realistically, there never will be a direct legal coordination because their their interests are simply too desperate. But through whatever means, through whatever even trend in, in, in legal reality, investors would find themselves suing in more of these cases. There's no question that that would lead to uh, some results, which you could then pick apart to see how uh, the chain of title issues, as we've been saying all along, are the way to look at these cases. And the broken chains of title are legally relevant. And they do block actual uh, proper legal process and, frankly, proper fulfillment of contracts. I mean, the investors certainly are not sideline spectators uh, who don't have skin in the game 
a lot of these investors are individuals. Some of them are small institutions. Some of them are larger institutions. However, they came into investing in these types of securitized trust, you know, often a REMIC, for instance, they have real skin in the game and they often have a lot of money to lose and a lot of money at stake. So I still think this is an area where there is going to be more litigation and I think some of the cases I think some of the cases related to that are going to prove substantial for for our side. Um, if you have like a last thought, Bill, uh, we need to uh, go on our merry way shortly. And I, as always, I thank our listeners for being with us today. Do you have any last thoughts? Well, uh, just just other than uh, really getting the word out here that uh, please, if you're calling about a property regarding LSF9, unless you want me to investigate uh, the chain of title or the circumstances because it's directly tied to uh, you in a litigation aspect or foreclosure, um, I'm, I'm just not the right guy to, to contact because uh, I, I simply don't have any information on, on these particular properties uh, if you're looking to purchase them or buy them or make a complaint on them. Um, that's uh, unfortunate, but I'm, I'm not the guy. So <laughs> um, if, you, if I don't yeah, follow good, up on your calls and emails, that's why. Right. That's a good word to get at to our listeners. Okay, so we will be back next week. That is to say, Neil will be back next week, and we will be back with you again. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice, and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.